0: This is The Maiden Voyage
1: Ever been on a podcast before, Kieran?
0: No Will I be on one in the future again? <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's see how this one goes
1: Hello captives and captive friends and welcome to the Global Captive Podcast, supported by RNQ and hosted by me, Richard Kutcher, and my first guest co-host of the series, Kieran Healy, now of Aon. Kieran, welcome to the pod. Hi Richard, thanks for having me. So just to give listeners a small bit of background on how this is all going to work, every two weeks a new 30 minute or so episode of the Global Captive Podcast will be released on Spotify, SoundCloud, the Apple Podcasts app, Google Podcasts or whatever your podcast platform of choice happens to be. Please do subscribe to ensure the latest episode is downloaded straight to your phone, and like all good podcasts, it is free. In each episode, I'll be joined by different guest co-hosts. As you just heard, this week it is Kieran, as well as feature interviews with captive owners and other leaders from the captive market. Kieran, how do you feel about being uh, the first guinea pig? Really, quite honestly, you are going in completely
0: blind with me on this one. That sounds a little worrying, Richard. I'm not sure what you have in store, but no, this is this is really exciting. But um, you know, I think you're the one taking the risk having me on the podcast, in the very first one. But <laughs> I'm really pleased to have you on board as our first guest co-host, purely for the simple,
1: selfish reason that I wanted, and I wanted the podcast to be the first to hear all about how the new job at Aon is going. LinkedIn tells us that your title is Director of Client Solutions Europe, Middle East, Africa for Aon Captive and Insurance Managers. Is it as exciting as it sounds? And more importantly, how was the extended time off between roles?
0: Yeah, it's really great to be back in Aon. Some really exciting things happening. That was the main reason for me wanting to go back. We've got a lot of benchmarking material coming through and a global risk management survey, which is going to have a lot of captive input, which is going to be really interesting for clients to see, I think. Um, And on top of that, just some really good analytical tools and a lot of really innovative Captive solutions that um, I'm hopefully going to be spearheading across Europe. So, looking forward to getting back out and talking to clients about what we can do for them. Obviously, the captive book is is, is a very large captive book at Aon. I think it's the second
1: largest uh, in the world from from the, from the captive managers. How excited are you to really have an opportunity to get to grips with a whole new group of clients? that so you may have had some interaction with them in the past, but I guess there'll be some really big projects you can get your teeth into.
0: Yeah, yes, like the, the client base is, is huge, and there's some some of the, the biggest captives in the world. Are in Aon European uh, stable, so yeah, there's a huge amount of excitement about what we can do. And um, just talking to to John English this morning about you know what we can achieve and the strategy that we're, we're developing together, and it's it's going to be genuinely exciting. So I'm really, really looking forward to getting stuck into that.
1: And I presume we're going to see you on the road doing things like this, talking at events, and obviously we'll be at Seeker in, in a few weeks' time. But around Europe, I guess you'll be getting your face out there.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you know, just trying to get in touch with as many. Uh, captive owners as I can throughout Europe because we've got some genuinely exciting things that I think that they're going to want to see and hear about so yeah that, that's the plan I hope to be to be um, on the road but I'm I've, i I've not the only one going through a career changes in recent months Richard you've moved on from captive review and um, you've had some time off yourself um, and you're now at Ermic so uh, how's that going?
1: So, I joined AirMIC uh, mid January. I'm the AirMIC Research and Development Manager. Listeners outside of the UK who might not be as familiar with AirMIC, AirMIC is the Association of Insurance and Risk Management uh, Professionals. So, kind of the kind of UK equivalent to RIMS, if you will. So, I'm in charge of all their technical outputs, uh, much broader than captives, you know, uh, risk management, insurance, procurement, and Uh, some captive involvement as well with the captive special interest group that EMIC has but this project is very much independent from EMIC Um, so I'm just trying to keep in touch with all my good friends in the uh, global captive world
0: Excellent, and so a podcast what's the thinking behind this?
1: Hopefully with my contacts, insight, experience from the last five years I should be able to provide further value to that audience through a new exciting medium I mean podcasts, they're not a new medium they've been around now for probably about 15 years but I think in the insurance world and particularly captives no one's really making the most of that of that of that avenue i know you listen to podcasts i listen to podcasts usually they're more about more exciting things like football or rugby or politics or or music whatever but we're going to hopefully try and crack the captive podcast market
0: sounds good so we're we're here in a lovely sunny day in london so um how are you going to service the global market from here Um, Well, so as you know,
1: we're both speaking at the Seeker International Conference in Arizona later this month, which provides an opportunity for me to uh, record some interviews on the other side of the pond as well. And of course, the luxury of being based here on Fenchurch Street at the heart of the insurance world's capital is that a a lot of leading captive folk from the East and the West will be passing through and I'll be sure to try and catch them. Uh, whenever
0: they do. You were talked about the first episode and, and me being a guinea pig, so uh, put us out of our misery. W- what have you got in store? Apart from some
1: excellent captive patter between you and I, uh, I think later we'll be hearing from Emma Sansom, uh, Zurich Insurance Company's head of captive services here in the UK. Emma spoke to us about the changing role of fronting partners and the demands put on them by captive owners. But our first guest is Carl Lehman, who should be very familiar, particularly to our European listeners. Carl has been with Belgian multinational Catawinati for more than 30 years and today is their chief risk officer. He is also chairman of Catawinati's single parent captive in Luxembourg and is a former president of IFRIMA, the umbrella association of regional risk management associations that incorporates the likes of RIMS, Prolima and FIRMA. Carl shared his views with me on BEPS, Solvency II, and home domiciling but started by telling us a little bit about his day-to-day role at Katuanati.
2: When I started uh, the company, as you said, uh, 30 years ago, we were only in Belgium, so just one country, uh, even uh, only two locations in that country. And we had about 1,200 employees, so it has been quite of a journey uh, in those uh, 30 uh, years to go from uh, 1,200 to 14,000 employees and from one country to 28 countries. Also has uh, helped me in growing into the company, developing a real risk management philosophy. And as you know, I mean, risk management uh, is a title with a lot of functions. But in our company, it embraces... Uh, The legal, it embraces uh, safety, security, also all the environmental issues like uh, operational permits and so on and of course the uh, claim handling and the insurances, so it's, it's much broader than just uh, the insurance. One area that you are very well known for,
1: particularly in recent years, is your part in FIrmer's work in response to the OECD's base erosion and profit-shifting project known as BEPS. That work, which included meetings with the OECD, first culminated in a 2017 position paper aimed at guiding risk and captive managers and national tax authorities through BEPS and how it should be applied to captives. Now we uh, find ourselves in 2019, how do you first view the BEPS project and how well prepared do you think the European
2: captive community and tax authorities are to implement it and more importantly comply with it? So there are two issues, eh? I mean uh, what is the state of the uh, BEPS project and, and what is the situation of the companies towards it. Uh, and certainly they're captive. So, I mean, on the BEPS project itself, it's certainly not finished. We're still working on it. As you um, correctly said, we have issued this little booklet, which was the consequence of the meeting or the follow-up of the meetings we had with OECD and other instances. We put quite a lot of work on it. Following that booklet, there has been a publication from OECD on which we reacted. So we have sent out a letter to the OECD with follow-up on on where they are. But so far, we haven't had any reaction on that one. So the thing is evolving very slowly. Uh, The good news is that we are sure, I would say we think, but we are pretty sure that OECD now has already a different view on captives than they had initially. So that, that's uh, something we already achieved and, and but we still have to work and to continue to work on it and try to go to them as one unified group, not just as the brokers, the insurers or the, the risk managers, so the whole community together to inform them because that's, that's a big part of our job, to inform them on how the captives in Europe work because there also is quite a difference between the US captives and the Uh, European captive, So, a lot of that has been done, but it's still an an, an ongoing thing. So, I think, on average, they are well prepared due to the otherwise useless uh, Solvency II regulation. Uh, I've never been a big fan of Solvency II. Uh, Most of the captive owners uh, have the same idea, that it's quite useless exercise. I know there are some advantages, but the additional paperwork A lot of that is quite useless. Now, the good news here is that a lot of that paperwork that you had to do for uh, Solvency 2 will be a good help to prepare you and to defend your case towards the OECD. So that is the the, the good news that due to the uh, implementation of Solvency 2, the captives are uh, well prepared. Will it be on transfer pricing, on substance, or on the economic rationale? Those are the three main chapters. So those are, are all uh, partially taken care of in the solvency too.
1: As the chief risk officer uh, at your company, you obviously have a very holistic view of risk and a clear idea of where you use insurance and, and the captive in particular. What is the ultimate purpose of your captive at Cato uh,
2: Due to the growing size of our group of companies, we we did insure a number of risks that were not insured before and that we took on the balance sheet if things happened. So now they are uh, insured uh, partially through the captive. And so it's a number of things. first, you had the the risks that were not insured. Then you had uh, the risks that were excluded in some of the policies we had and the third element is, is risks that were not an issue before, like cyber. And I think that's why captives are, are made for, to be quite agile, to, to adapt on a changing market and to take on board and, and eventually to, to function as a, a uh, risk incubator for new elements that, that, that pop up. Uh, as I said, cyber 10, 15 years ago was not an issue at all. Now, I think for most of the companies, it is the number one risk On the value of the captive, we we hear a lot about captive owners having
1: to justify more and rationalize more why they have a captive. How do you measure the value of your captive? And is it a challenge to demonstrate that value to the rest of the company and
2: its uh, senior management? I think you have a number of advantages uh, by having your captive. First of all, you, you have a clear view on the risks because, I mean, if you want to insure them, obviously you have to know what they are and, and uh, how big they are so that you have a better view on the risk. In some cases, your uh, potentially maximum liabilities are known. I know that's not always the case, but in a lot of cases uh, it, it is. So uh, beside the, the, the view you have, you also can spend a lot of time on uh, handling the risks, uh, be well prepared. So the, the risk management as such has a bigger impact and is also uh, well uh, followed up within the company because it's it all comes down to a an economically more advantage management of the risk through the captive. So that 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 is I would say easy, but it's 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 possible to demonstrate that personally. I have no issues. I think the the biggest problem that some people may have, well, problem if it's a problem, is that that due to the mergers and acquisitions, uh, they had several captives into their organizations and in some cases they have turned it down to from three to two or to one. Uh, So they eliminate a number of captives, but they don't step away from the principle of having a captive. Somewhat related to that, uh, Carl, we haven't seen much significant
1: growth in new captive formations in Europe for the past five years or so. What do you see as the key themes for captives and captive owners over the next
2: two to five years? The growth has not been spectacular. Neither has been the decline. Uh, we haven't seen a real decline of captives, although due to cost-cutting, you have seen a number of of large groups where they had several captives. They turn them down to one captive. Uh, you have also seen that uh, some people are onshoring their captive, but I mean, we should dare to mention it also. Eh? I mean that you have seen the U.S. tax reform. Where uh, the, the taxes on companies went down from 35 to 21 percent, and although that uh, there has not been a big decline in, in the number of U.S. Uh, captives, so so that that's again a proof that what some people tend to say, oh, the captive is only for tax persons, is again demonstrated that it is not the case, and I think more and more with the the risk management being a real important element in the management of any company, the use of the captive is is, uh, more and more demonstrated.
1: You mentioned um, earlier, Carl, that Solvency 2 you you viewed as somewhat useless. In what direction do you expect the insurance regulators to move regarding Solvency 2 and its application to captives? From what I've heard over the last two years, there seems to be quite a bit of inconsistency and kind of the opposite of harmonisation regarding captives under Solvency 2. So should we be optimistic and expect
2: more proportionality to be applied or do we expect it to be a mixed bag? Well, you should always be optimistic. Uh, there is no use being pessimistic, so <laughs> you have to be optimistic. And I know uh, the proportionality, that's still something that's, uh, that we've been fighting for. But uh, what we see is that there is no real rationale within the authorities. Uh, for example, in, in one part, like insolvency two, uh, the captives are seen like uh, normal insurance companies while in the BEPS, they see us, they don't see us as a normal insurance company. So there the rationale from the authorities is not really in line. But of course, that's not the first time we, we see that. Uh, you also have those discussions going on, on on other legal aspects where you have completely different rules and regulations, for example, on a European level or on a local level. So uh, that's something uh, the more our world gets complicated uh, the more you have to live with those things but yes we should try to fight uh, for more uh, proportionality but uh, you also have to deal with the fact that a number of countries are more and more uh, protecting themselves that's an evolution that you see in the world they have the big example of the US where they see look this guy doesn't follow any international agreements anymore so why should we and I think that's a, a very disturbing trend in global economy that that countries who before stick to international agreements tend to not stick to those uh, international agreements anymore and and i think that's an an alarming and difficult to handle evolution that we that we see globally thank you
1: carl it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and thank you for coming on to the global captive podcast my pleasure After the break, Kieran and I will pick apart that interview with Carl and also hear from Zurich's Emma Sansom. Catch you on the other side. The Global Captive Podcast is supported by RNQ, the award-winning provider of exit solutions for legacy liabilities and companies in runoff. RQ has an A-rated insurer in the US, Accredited Surety and Casualty, which is emitted across all fifty states, and in Malta, Accredited Insurance Europe, which is licensed across the European Union. These are used extensively for assuming legacy liabilities as well as providing fronting capabilities. r also owns various other insurance vehicles that provide unrivaled breadth of runoff solutions across onshore and offshore captive jurisdictions. And a reminder, you can find and follow the Global Captive Podcast on LinkedIn and also on Twitter and Instagram under the handle at Captive Podcast. Kieran, there was quite a bit to digest there from Carl in the interview just before the break. Uh, First, I thought it was quite refreshing to hear a captive professional talking so straight on a topic such as Solventy 2. I think he described it as useless uh, at least a couple of times. Um, Can you understand that sentiment from a captive owner? And is it one that you might agree with?
0: Yeah, well, it goes without saying Carl is is one of the most respected individuals in the captive industry. And I I think it's hard to disagree with, with what he said in that interview. I think it's interesting how he highlighted the work captive owners have done to comply with Solvency Two, but um, I think it's fair to say the sentiment around Europe is that Solvency Two is a little bit overblown for captives and we're kind of getting caught up in the as collateral damage in, in the overall framework. One of the things that I think is important to kind of note on on this whole issue is that the industry hasn't really given up trying to lobby on Solvency Two. We're still working on it. I know in the various domiciles around Europe. Um, you know I think the captive management organizations and the various stakeholders are still trying to make the case and, and we're hopeful that we will get some sort of proportionality carve out for, for captives so it's not off the agenda the other thing though that I think captive managers it's it's incumbent upon them to to make sure the captive owners are, are kind of somewhat shielded from the burden of this Um, you know they can't do everything but I think you know Captive managers are, are stepping up to make sure that the, the pain of solvency two is sort of deflected away from the captive owners, so that they can focus on, on what they need to, which is you know what the captive is doing for the, for the group. So it it is a, a hot topic. I know people are still sort of unhappy with solvency two, but but I think we can be optimistic. That I think it's going to get better. I think captive managers are getting into their stride a bit more, and hopefully, as I said, you know we'll have some inroads with the regulators in due course
1: although carl did kind of say it was useless I, un- I understand fully where that sentiment comes from it was interesting insight but he then when we're talking about beps said well actually solvency two has put in place a number of um particularly around the governance side and kind of extra substance and a, probably an extra paper trail to show it's a real insurance company that probably has helped them deal with the beps issue hasn't it
0: yeah definitely it definitely has like there are some inconsistencies about what well, the beps uh, stakeholders are going to want to see as opposed to what the, the insurance regulators want to see so there, there is a little bit of conflict there but yeah certainly like the, the documentation I think the rigour around how you capitalise those sort of things certainly are, are, you know, a huge advantage when you're coming to the, the BEPS challenge.
1: I think it's interesting. We're going to be in the United States in a, in a few weeks' time at the Seeker conference, and I think, and we're going to talk a little bit about Solmate Two, not not in great depth, but it's, it's watching uh, American captive owners' faces uh, and regulators' faces when you talk to them about Solmate Two is, is quite a picture because it's just quite alien to them. Obviously, they do have risk-based frameworks there, but the captives do have a lot more flexibility. And I'm sure if the American market had to deal with Solomon 2, they wouldn't we wouldn't be seeing quite the growth in the mid-market uh, segment of, of that industry. Um Carl also brought up common issues in Europe right now around home domiciling and MA activity at the corporate level, leading to more captive reviews and kind of captive feasibility studies of existing captives. I know you were involved in a lot of captive rationalization projects at your previous role at Willis Towers Watson in the last few years. Do you expect to see more of those kind of projects coming up in Europe in 2019?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think the rationalisation piece might slow down a bit. I think there was obviously a lot of activity over the last few years. Um, we kind of expect that to, to somewhat settle. But strategic reviews and, and, you know, reviewing the captive in terms of what's in it, where it is, all those type of themes, I think we're going to see an awful lot of that. You know, we, we mentioned Solvency too. I think a lot of companies now are coming out the other side of that. Um, and and kind of thinking, well, you know, is the captive strategy exactly the way we need it to be? Um, So most captive owners in Europe are are kind of looking at that now. And the other other kind of, I suppose, fringe benefit of Solvency 2 from a captive perspective is, you know, capital levels have increased, but I think captive owners are now looking to use the captive as much as they can as a result of that so we're seeing kind of new lines going into captives we're seeing a lot of growth in existing captives so you know i think again um, that's kind of a positive thing for the industry just to contrast
1: what i previously said about the the u.s industry looking at horror at soul two, i think what it has helped solidify in europe is just how sophisticated the european captives are not to say that american captives aren't sophisticated but the ones we do have in europe about 800 or so are you know a lot of them are big beasts writing multiple lines life and non-life and those ones will probably only continue to grow and, and utilize their captive in more interesting ways So our next guest on the podcast has been Head of Captive Services at Zurich in the United Kingdom for the past 18 months and is well known to some of the largest captive clients in the UK and Europe. Emma spoke to me about global programs and new lines of insurance, but we started off by hearing how the role of large carriers and reinsurers in relation to captives has evolved somewhat over the past 10 years.
3: Fronting arrangements in terms of issuing policies to our customers and their local operations represents probably the largest part of what we do, but actually really this is only a small part of the overall proposition that we offer to our customers. In terms of day-to-day interactions, these can be a little bit broader than just reinsurance agreements and local policies, the premiums and claims handling. Uh, We like to dig a little bit deeper to understand a bit more about our customers, their captive strategies and their respective needs, so that we can really identify the key risks that keep risk managers awake at night in the context of the wider business's strategic objectives. so what we seek to do is design solutions that actually respond to these challenges in a meaningful way. So this will involve conversations around things like ERM, risk engineering services and the like.
1: How have the demands by captives of fronting partners changed in recent years, do you think? And, and how is the Zurich relationship with captive clients expanding?
3: I think the fundamentals haven't really changed. Um, our customers are looking for things like strong paper uh, and extensive global footprints the ability to move premiums and pay claims where it matters, and also access to data. And in particular around the data piece, as we all know, technology has rapidly evolved over the past couple of years. So I'll use here the analogy of a mobile phone. When phones first became mainstream, it was enough that they could just send and receive phone calls. Um, nowadays, we expect, at a minimum, to be able to ac- access a huge amount of inf- information via the Internet, to take photos and videos, but also to communicate instantly to a mass audience via a multitude of different media to push a button. And insurance is very much the same. Our customers expect more and more from their insurance partners, and technology has actually enabled us to provide a much more comprehensive, and ins- insightful suite of solutions, and this includes real-time access to the insurance program data, things like API, blockchain, but I think more importantly the ability to use customer data to draw out bespoke insights around a customer's profile. So as I alluded to before, Generally speaking, our customers expect a much more holistic approach to risk management, and this extends to reducing the overall cost of risk by ensuring an increasing number of line of businesses across life and non-life to maximise the diversification benefits. Changing regulatory landscape and increasing governance requirements, I think risk transfer testing is becoming a much more important feature of what we do. As captives come under more scrutiny to demonstrate their viability as an arm's length entity of substance. So compliant programmes are becoming increasingly more important in a post BEPS world especially where we see challenges around internet-generated trade and associated tax concerns. Historically, the captives we've seen as a fronting insurer tended to be predominantly the domain of larger companies who would establish single-parent captives and obviously have large economies of scale. But these days, um, we're seeing much more interest from mid-market customers who are seeing benefits using cell captives. So the conversation there tends to be quite a different one as the needs of these customers tend to be quite different. Additionally, a flexible approach to collateral is becoming increasingly important to our customers, as is more consideration around the exit or de-risking strategies, for example, where a captive might be writing a long-term tail exposure such as EL.
1: Are there any new lines starting to particularly interest risk managers in placing it into the captive?
3: So, while they're not necessarily new lines, we are seeing an increased interest in the likes of trade credit, employment practices liability, environmental impairment liability and cyber, and also from a life perspective, um, we're starting to see an increase in terms of placing employee benefits and medical into their captives, and in particular in respect of the medical, the conversations tend to be around managing premium inflation, which can potentially be mitigated through use of a captive. More recently, we're having conversations around parametric insurance covers, and I less in particular around the weather related risks as well as conversations around the more intangible risks such as non-damaged BI. As with all new covers actual take-up has been a bit slow so we're continuing to work with our customers to ensure that they have the level of comfort that they need to take those risks on. We've also seen some increased interest in captives providing insurance for their parents customers. An example of this would be things like extended warranty products which are a revenue generating vehicle rather than uh, just risk management. And then the last item I just wanted to mention was around longevity swaps. So we've seen some high-profile arrangements involving captives in the press, so it would be really interesting to see if there are any developments in this particular area in the future.
1: Ever since we saw those transactions happen in Guernsey for a handful of ICCs, it has only stayed at a handful. So I know that there have been some other... Um, examples on the continent of using existing captives to do that. And I'm quite excited to see if if we see any more um, in that area. One line you did mention at the beginning there was cyber, and it always still remains a hot topic among a lot of captive consultants and captive owners. Has Zurich seen much activity in this area among its captive clients?
3: Um, yeah, so I think in previous years we've, we've had a lot of interest from both customers and the captive industry alike, but the take-up has been quite limited. But more recently we've, we've seen a trend of growth in the underlying market activity around non-captive programmes and this, this may be due to an increased comfort around the wordings and cover. But also I think because there's additionally increased interest from the C-suite following some very high-profile cases over the past couple of years to make sure that cover is in place uh, should the worst happen. The knock-on effect from that is that in the past year we've actually seen the number of captives putting cyber into their programs more than double.
1: Well that is definitely significant so I think you touched on it there I think that it's definitely interesting that the C-suite is becoming more aware of, of the cyber topic and how it can be mitigated and, and insured. Why as a line itself why can it be appealing to put it into the captive?
3: There's a couple of things so firstly By using your captive, you have access to a broader wording than you might be able to um, achieve in the market. So you can cover risks that might not necessarily be available or affordable, traditionally. But also from a Zurich perspective, we're seeing interest from our customers who are looking to access the pre- and post-breach services and also the risk engineering tools and services we have that help mitigate risks. So that they might take a nominal amount into their captive to gain access to this suite of products, um, but also it enables them to internally build up the data around their own risks.
1: I think you touched on this in your your first... Answer possibly, but what is the number one priority for owners concerning their captive backed global programs today?
3: So, this is an interesting question. Uh, one could argue that ultimately the primary reason to form a captive is to save money as a customer group when it comes to risk financing and management, but it really does depend on why the captive has been set up and its, its strategic importance to the parent. The cost of having a captive is arguably rising due to regulatory pressures due to developments such as BEPS. Um, And so the cost benefits that were once enjoyed are being eroded to some extent. As part of a holistic risk management and financing approach, the benefit of having a captive has much more far-reaching outcomes than just cost savings. The captive industry has a real opportunity here to be instrumental in innovating in a changing risk landscape. Some of our listeners will have seen the recent WEF Global Risks Report released a few weeks ago, which highlights some of these challenges. If you haven't, I would encourage you to check it out. It makes for interesting reading, to say the least. As the nature of traditional insurance programmes shift from the tangible, to the intangible, it's imperative that risk managers and captive owners understand how their risk is changing within their organisations, to engage with their insurance partners to explore these risks and ultimately put in place solutions that will ensure the parent will be able to achieve its business objectives both now and in the future.
1: So that brings us almost to the end of the Global Captive Podcast, Episode one Kieran, Ciarán, it's been a pleasure having you on, and I hope that we will hear more from you again later in the year.
0: Yeah, pleasure's all mine. But uh, Richard, you can't let us go without plugging our panel at Seeker.
1: Oh, that's true. That's true. So as I've mentioned a couple of times, both of us will be at Seeker. Do you you want to give it a plug, Kieran? what we're going to be talking about?
0: Sure. Yeah, I think we're going to give the perspective of the European captive industry. It's going to be quite interesting. We have uh, Philippe from BNP, Paribas, and Udo from Airbus, both who have representation in Ekeroa, which is the the European captive representation body. And of course, obviously the stars of the show, myself and yourself, Richard.
1: Yeah, I think it should be good. And we got lots of statistics and kind of going to drill down into the USPs of European domiciles, which hopefully will be helpful to... The Our American audience, we know lots of American companies do have captives in Europe and vice versa. Plenty of European companies utilize American domiciles as well. So I think there's a good opportunity to have a conversation around that. And I believe it is about midday on Monday, on day one of the conference. So please do come along if you're at Seeker. But thank you for joining us on the first Global Captive podcast. Please do remember to subscribe. So every new episode is automatically downloaded to your smartphone or tablet when it is released. You can find us by searching for Global Captive podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, your Apple and Google podcast apps, or any other podcast platform, good ones and bad ones, they're on them all. The next episode is planned for a Monday 18th of March release and is expected to feature Peter Carlson's Jason Flaxbeard as my guest co-host, and Builders' Rees' Bertrand Gilson, who's the Chief Investment Officer for the captive group of Hot Teeth. See you next time, captives.